Good morning, everyone. It's, it is really good to be with you, by the way. Um, just so you know that, I'd like you to know that. Um, my name's Colin. I have the privilege of leading the team here at Gateway. And this morning, we are starting a new preaching series in Daniel, but unfortunately, we have no slides or anything again today, because I managed to lose the memory stick on the way over. Um, so they might, they might come. If not, open your Bibles just over halfway through and find the book of Daniel um, just as we get going. Can I just, I'd just love to add my welcome if this is your first Sunday here with us. It's great to have you here. Hope you feel at home and welcomed here. Secondly, I want to say you guys are doing great, by the way. It is so great to walk in and know that God is with you and it's not about how one feels in that sense, but I tell you, you walk in and there is a sense of praise and celebration and expectancy to encounter with Jesus. So keep going, keep pressing on and God's got so much in store for this place. Don't settle for nice, comfy church. Settle to be people of the kingdom of God who are expectant and excited when we gather together that God is going to encounter us, that he wants to build us in his faith, in the good faith that we have, that he wants to grow us and mature us and do mighty things amongst us. So can I just encourage you, as, as you gather week after week, big expectation. Let's go for it and let's see what God does. So we are starting a new series in the book of Daniel. Fantastic. That's what I thought. I, I was Earlier I thought, a few months back I was thinking, let's, let's do a series in the book of Daniel then. That'll do. No, we're starting a new series in the book of Daniel. Earlier, earlier this year there were a few things that were happening in the world at the time. Um, you might have heard of them, Trump and Brexit, to name a couple. And I, I was just aware that as Christians, we need to understand the times we live in, what God is doing, and how we are to respond. And the book of Daniel is an incredible gift from God for precisely that purpose. And so over these 11 weeks, we are going to um, spend time not just in the fun part of Daniel at the beginning with the great adventure stories, but right the way through the book of Daniel into the more challenging prophetic section at the end of the book. We're going to spend our, these weeks going through the book of Daniel, looking at what is the message of the book of Daniel. What has God got to say to us about what he is doing in the nations of the world? How he is working, what he um, calls his people to live like in a day and age like ours and like Daniel's. Can I just have a show of hands? How many of you have um, read the book of Daniel? Okay. If you have read it or you haven't read it, can I encourage you to just read it again this week um, to familiarize yourself with it? It's a great, it's a, it is an epic. It's incredibly gripping. So just read it. My second question is, how many people came away from reading Daniel feeling, hmm, slightly confused? No, okay, wow. Fantastic. Well, Daniel is a book that is incredibly easy to get confused in, especially towards the end, as we will see in the weeks to come. But my, my hope and my passion is that as we go through this book, God begins to speak to us with great clarity, and that as the people of God, called out by God for his purposes, 
even in our generation, we get incredible confidence in who he is. It's, it's an incredible book, and I am excited that we are going to be diving into it. As we're going to see over these weeks, Daniel is a book that God has given to us that invites us into heaven's perspective on reality, on history. It invites us to see what God is doing, his plans and his purposes. And this book was written by Daniel at the end of his life, looking back over the events of his life to encourage followers of God, the people of God in every age, in every situation, in every circumstance, in every nation, to, to understand what is happening, how we're to understand the events of the world that we live in. And in a world of shifting superpowers, Brexit, Trump, Putin, North Korea, Syria, ISIS, Yemen, to name a few, in a world like ours that is full of values and assumptions that are against God, and increasingly in our nation we are seeing the erosion of values that we have held for a long time. Biblical values are being eroded incredibly quickly. It's like one, one morning they were there, you woke up the next and they're, and they're gone. And in a world like ours where it's just shifting and changing, the message of Daniel is a message of hope, as we are going to see. It's a message that brings strength to followers of God, to stand, to endure, to be faithful, to, to not just get through, but to understand the times that we live in to understand what God is doing with us. That as we live life with God, as friends of God, I just want you to remember that Jesus said, you're now no longer, and now no, I, don't, I don't call you servants, I now call you my friends. A servant doesn't know their master's business, but a friend, you've been revealed into the father's plans. You know what the father is doing. And so this is what Daniel is. It's a, it's a behind the curtains moment. It's a come behind the scenes to look at, What's going on in, in reality? What's really taking place? It's a bit like the DVD extras, if you like. It's great watching the movie, but I love the DVD extras. How do they do that? The special effects, the camera, the lighting. It's a bit, if you like, it's a bit like that. It's a step behind the scenes to see what's really taking place. Quite simply, the book of Daniel shows us how to hold on to the reality of Christ in a world that we do not control. It shows us how to hold on to the hope of Christ in a world that we do not control. Daniel was written to God's people to understand how to live in turbulent times just like ours. So I'm going to pray and then we're going to get to work. Father, we thank you that you are a God who is purposing all of history for your glory as we will see over these 11 weeks. We thank you just as we have declared in worship that yours is the power, yours is the glory, yours is the name above every name. Next to your name, there is no other. You have no rival, no equal, that you are supreme and sovereign, that you stand alone, that you are the one who is seated on the throne above all thrones. And I pray that through this journey of Daniel that you would ignite within us faithfulness and faith that we would lift our eyes and heads to see you and your sovereign, supreme reign and rule in all of creation. Come be with us, therefore, by your Spirit. Help us in these things, we pray. 
and give us understanding to the message of Daniel, I ask. That it wouldn't just be information, but it would, it would provoke within us a, a, a desire to live as faithful citizens of the kingdom of heaven increasingly in our generation. We pray this for your glory and for our joy. Amen. Amen. Sorry, I'm battling this. It's giving up. So, Daniel 1, chapter 1, verse 1. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, Jehoiakim, sorry, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. This book opens with disaster. This is a disaster moment. Fantastic job, Chris. This is a disaster. Thanks, guys. This is a disaster moment for the people of God. In Israel's history, this is a moment that is tragic. It opens, this book opens with the Israelites, the people of God, being taken into Babylonian captivity. The two southern tribes of Judah being taken into Babylonian captivity by Nebuchadnezzar around 600 years before the birth of Christ Jesus. This is a disaster moment for the people of Israel. I'm just going to fly through a bit of the context just to help us understand. So there were three sieges where Babylon came and carried off people into um, captivity. And this is the first. We find this right at the beginning. In the reign of King Nebuchadnezzar, uh, sorry, of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. So the context is this. The Egyptians were getting a bit fussy with the Babylonians. So the Egyptians down south, top of northeast Africa, were getting annoyed with the Babylonian empire. Can we have the map up, Chris? Have we got that one? Fantastic. So, okay, go, go over here. The Egyptians down here were annoyed with the Babylonians up there. And so they came up to the top. You can see Carchemish right up there, up north. And they came up to come and pick a fight with the Babylonians. And at this battle, Babylonia, they defeated the Egyptians. And whilst, whilst they were at Carchemish, they thought, hey, we're not too far from Judah and from Israel, so let's go down and trounce them. And so they came down to Jerusalem and they ransacked the place, they besieged it, and they carried off a whole group of Jewish people into captivity. And along with the Jewish people, as we'll read in a moment, they took articles of the temple, things that belonged in the temple of the living God with them. This is a desperately dark time in Israel's history. Centuries before, Moses had warned the people, even before they went into the promised land, that if they turned away from the living God, he would send them among the nations. He would scatter them among the nations. And this is precisely what is happening just here. I just want us to think for a moment from a, a people of God, the Jewish people who had received covenant promises with God Most High, who had the, the law and the prophets and all the promises of God to Abraham and to Moses. Suddenly, this people, far from their glory days with King David and King Solomon, are, are decimated into the nations of the world. The temple, where the living God's name for years and years had been worshipped and glorified, 
And back in King Solomon's days, other people from other nations came to King Solomon to pay tribute and say, wow, you people worship the living God. This is incredible who you are. And now suddenly they're the laughing stock of the nations. It looks like total disaster. It looks like the living God has been defeated by the gods of Babylon. But let's carry on. Let's read on. Verse 2. And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, that's Nebuchadnezzar, along with some of the articles from the temple. These he carried off to the temple of his God in Babylonia and put them in the treasure of the house of his God. So on that map, Daniel and his friends and the others taken into exile were taken about 500 miles east into the capital of Babylon, Babylonia, Babylon, and there they were, they were um, taken as exile and as captives into the house of Babylon, into the house of King Nebuchadnezzar. Now, there are two ways of reading history. There are two ways of looking at the events of the world that we give in, that we, that we um, live in. Sorry, I've got give just here. One is this, that the world really is a total disaster, that There is either no God because they can't be, because if there was a God, it would be much better than this. Or two, that God is an evil despot who loves to see human suffering. We begin to think things like this, there's no hope. Therefore, we might as well give up. God is not in control. I can do nothing but simply hang on, hunker down, try and live a good life and just trust that these few years we have will bring joy and have some meaning, some way, shape, or form. And it's possible to read history in this vein of negativity, of, of there's nothing good, the world is going to the dogs, it's falling apart, there's no hope in the message of Christian hope, it's all hopeless, give up. That's one way to view the world and history. Or there is another way to view the world and history. And it is this, that God is in control. And it's this that Daniel, right at the start of this incredible book, he says, if you want to understand the message of this book, if you want to understand why I acted in the way I did, why I chose, made the decisions I did, why I responded in the way I did, why I didn't go kicking and railing and screaming against God, saying, God, what on earth are you doing? This is a disaster. If you were really there, you'd help us and so on and so forth. If you want to understand the message of Daniel, right at the beginning, he says this, verse 2, the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar. Not meaningless circumstance. Not just some despot ruler coming and just saying, I'm going to cause carnage wherever I go. No, the Lord did it. God is in control. This is the, the first major theme in Daniel that, da- that Daniel wants us to get hold of. God is sovereignly ruling and reigning in every circumstance, in every situation, in every place, at every time. And in a day like ours, with the pressures that we hear about and face, the world events, the markets, the nations rising up, the famine, the war, the decimation that's taking place, Isn't it good to know that God is sovereignly in control? I I think through this series, this is the the drumbeat that we are going to hear. 
that God is sovereign and he is absolutely in control of everything. These events are not taking God by surprise. They're not taking place where God is out of control and then he's going, oh boy, Jerusalem's been ransacked. What do we do, Gabriel? He is utterly in control. The Lord delivered into his hands. This is foundational in Daniel's understanding. That's why it's right at the beginning of his book. If you want to understand how to not just survive in this world we live in, but how to thrive, you need to understand that God is sovereign. It's the foundation of the life of of a follower of Jesus. As the people of God, God is in control. Good news in a dying and hurting world. And the trouble is we can so often view the world like this. How is it that the unrighteous, that the wicked perpetrating evil seem to get away with it? Where's justice? How comes, how comes that, that God seems to bless the, the, the unrighteous along with the righteous? He makes the, the sun and the rain to shine and fall on both the righteous and the unrighteous. God, what are you doing? God, haven't you seen the circumstances in Syria? Haven't you seen the plight of the hungry in Yemen? God, how is it that you let despotic rulers seemingly get away with it and not only get away with it, prosper? God, if you were really in control and you really cared, you would do something about it. Well, the message of Daniel, as we will see, is that God absolutely is doing something about it. He has neither left us nor forgotten us, but he is absolutely at work. And the exciting um, reality of this book of Daniel, as I said, is it gives us a heaven's eye view into the events of reality, is it gives us both a view into the seen world that we live in, the seen creation, and into the unseen creation. God invites us to come and see history from his perspective, how he is caring for his people. He is a God of incredible patience, and he is incredibly faithful, even to those who hate him even to those who despise him and are anti-him. It's fascinating that God's judgment on the nations of the world, God's judgment on history, is not the way that we would instinctively think it would happen. And this is precisely what's happening here with Jerusalem, is that they are being judged by God because of turning against, away from him because they have forgotten to live with him as Lord over their lives. They've forgotten the law. They've just turned their backs on God. And right here, God is judging Israel. And I, I was thinking about this. I was thinking, we don't think of judgment like that. We, we often think that God is a judge and, and that if I was a judge, I would judge the most wicked first of all. I would start with the most wicked and work my way to those who are most holy and righteous. Sure, everybody needs to be judged. We've all fallen. But in God's kingdom, the pattern is actually the other way around. Yes, God is a God who judges the nations, but he starts with his own people, first of all. He starts with his family. The the writer to the Hebrews says that, that God disciplines those that he loves. And yes, one day he will judge the nations of the world. Absolutely, that day is coming, but right now it looks like unrighteousness and evil and wickedness are having a field day. And, and so I'm surprised that you don't see Daniel saying, God, why are you doing this to us? What about, what about the Babylons? 
Judge them. Bring disaster on them. It's precisely what one of the prophets, Habakkuk, said to God. He saw the Assyrian Empire, again, an empire that Babylon replaced. He saw them rising up. He saw their power increasing. He saw that they were on the march, and he knew that they were going to, become, they were going to come to the northern tribes of Israel and take them out. And he cried out to God, and he said, God, yes, we need to be judged. Yes, we've been sinned, sinning. Yes, we've turned our back on you. But, but judge the Babylon. Uh, judge the Assyrians. They're far worse than we are. And God says, I will come to judge them, but later. First of all, I'm going to use the Assyrians to, to, to sharpen you, to teach you to listen to my voice. God judges and disciplines those in the house of God first of all. Do you know the reason he does this? is because he is far more concerned about our eternal holiness than our present happiness. He doesn't give that total reason for suffering and injustice in this world. Of course not. But God is far more concerned about our eternal holiness. That we are those who look like the people of God. That we are saved into eternity. Than just that we have a happy life right now. God is far more concerned about that. And so he will allow circumstances, evil, wickedness, unrighteousness to happen for his purposes, to gather to himself a people for his glory and for their eternal joy. And all of this takes us to the second major theme in the book of Daniel. And it is simply this. That we are called as the people of God in light of God's sovereign rule and reign to remain faithful to God. To live lives that are faithful to him. Just as I've been reading and studying this book, that word faithfulness, I felt like God's just put it alive in my heart again. Hey, we're called to faithfulness, church. We're called to live as those who, who understand that this world that we live in, with all its present things that it offers us, this isn't our home. We're aliens and strangers here. Hey, we're from a different kingdom. We're of a different kingdom. We play it by a different set of rules. God has called us to live as faithful citizens in this world, but as faithful citizens of his kingdom. So how did Daniel respond? How did Daniel respond to this injustice? How did Daniel get caught up in the wickedness of Nebuchadnezzar and and suddenly as a young teenager, Daniel was just a young guy at this point in his life. He was the cream of the crop of Israel. He was from the royal household most likely. How how is it that Daniel, who, who wasn't in charge, it wasn't really his fault, how comes he suddenly got caught up in this mess, in this disaster, and he's found himself exiled 500 miles away from home? How does he respond in that moment? I, I wonder if many of us would begin to rail against God. Hey God, if you really love me, then this wouldn't happen to me. If you really cared, if you were really sovereign and powerful, then you wouldn't let this sickness happen in my life. If you really cared, then you would give me that job promotion. If you really cared, then, then that family situation that is just a disaster, you would turn it round. Many of us, in moments of pressure and challenge and, and seemingly on the end of unrighteousness or evil and wickedness of others, oftentimes it causes us to 
to fight God. Say, God, if you really cared, you'll deal with this. Let's look at how Daniel responded. Daniel 1, verse 3. Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, chief of his court officials, to bring into the king's service some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility. The cream of the crop. If you want to decimate a nation, take out the people who are educated and trained, those with power and influence, and the whole thing will just fall apart. It's precisely what's happened here. Nebuchadnezzar knew how to take a nation into exile. Verse 4, these were young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. He was to teach them the language and literature of the Babylonians. How did Daniel respond? Well, we do not see Daniel railing against God here. Remember, Daniel chapter 1, verse 2, God did it. The Lord delivered Daniel into Babylon. And so Daniel and his friends are in Babylon, away from home, and in exile. We need to just, for a moment, just stop and think. When you are taken into exile, you now no longer get to define who you are. You are a captive. Your freedoms have gone. Your permissions have gone. And who is in charge of you? They say who you are. They define who you are. It's just how it works. And Daniel and his friends are experiencing a complete obliteration of their identities. Everything about them is changed. They have new culture, therefore new literature, new political system, new religions, new food laws, new language, and a new worldview that they have to deal with, that they are having to engage with. Into this, they are also given new names. And Daniel, his name means God is my judge. What a great name for representing a nation that is under the judgment of God. And as he comes to Babylon, he's given a new name, Belteshazzar, which means a servant of Bel, one of the gods of Babylon. And so even as Daniel is brought into exile, the Babylons are mocking Daniel, saying, now, now, every time you're called, every time you're, somebody calls you Belteshazzar, it's saying you're a servant of Baal. You're now, now no longer a servant of your living God. You're now a servant of our God, Baal. Looking on, it looks like Daniel and the Israelites and Daniel's friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, have lost everything. It looks as though the God who is most high and living, is not, in fact, all-powerful and able to deliver his people. And this is, the, this is the second great theme of Daniel. Is that Daniel was a faithful guy. Daniel lived a faithful life to God. He remained faithful and steadfast. He didn't use the excuse of being caught into captivity to say, well, there's nothing I can do about this. I guess God's forgotten me. No, he was steadfast and resolute. Let's pick up at verse 5. The king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from his table. They were trained for three years. And after that, they were to enter the king's service. Among those who were chosen were some from Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. 
The chief official gave them new names. To Daniel, he gave the name Belteshazzar. To Hananiah, Shadrach. To Mishael, Meshach. And to Azariah, Abednego. As I said, this was a total deprogramming from their old life and a re-educating into their new life. And in such a context, finding ways to live as faithful to God is incredibly difficult. But let's see verse 8, this great statement of Daniel. Daniel resolved. Daniel resolved. Hey, I'm in Babylon, but I'm making a decision. I'm determining in myself not to defile myself with the royal food and wine. Likely because this food had been offered to idols and in Leviticus 11, you'll know there's all these weird food laws that the Israelites are given. You can't eat this, you can't eat that. And Daniel says, I'm not going to defile myself with the food and wine of the king's table of Babylon. And so he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself in this way. Verse 9. Now God had caused the official to show favor and compassion to Daniel. Hey, God's at work again. Daniel made a decision to live faithfully for God, to live making a stand on righteousness for God, to say, hey, I'm not going to, be defi- I'm not going to let the king of Babylon define me. I'm going to let who, I, who my God is define me. I'm going to let the living God define me, and I'm going to do everything I can to live for him. And God honors him. God honors his decision. And so the, the official shows him favor, and they, they just start to barter over. Daniel says, well, look, I'm not going to eat that, but what you can do is you can give me vegetables and water, and we'll survive on that. We'll be fine. The official becomes incredibly nervous and says, no way. Hey, if you look, if you look awful at the end of this, my neck will be on the line, and I'm not prepared to do that. So Daniel comes up with an offer. What about 10 days? Let's do it for just 10 days. We can't look too bad after 10 days, and let's see. And so he and his friends, they just stick to this rubbish vegan diet. This is not a, this is not a, um, a passage in the Bible that says vegetarianism is good. It's not. It's wrong. This is not a call to um, the Daniel fast. You don't need to go crazy. This is Daniel saying, when I am out of my home, when I am not where I belong truly, I am still going to live faithfully to God. I am making a decision that I will honor the living God. Hey guys, this isn't our home. We're aliens and strangers here. We are called in every aspect of life to make that same decision. Hey, I won't defile myself from the king's table. Hey, I won't take the things that this world offers. All the glitz and glamour, the legs and the this and that and the other. And Hey, I'm not going to defile myself on those things. I define myself by who the living God is. And I make decisions of my life based on who he is and what he has said life should look like. I choose to honor him. And that's right in Daniel's heart here. This this attitude of faithfulness is so incredibly important that we see this as we go into the book of Daniel. God is sovereign. He reigns and rules with all power, authority, wisdom. And he calls us to live faithfully as citizens of his kingdom. These are the two great themes that that run through the book of Daniel. And so at the end of the 10 days, Daniel and his friends, they look better than everybody else. They look more healthy. Their skin's glowing. And so the the chief official says, fine, you can do this diet. That's fine by me. You look great. That, That works out better for me. I get a pay rise because of it. And so they just stick to vegetables. 
Verse 17. To these four young men, if you are here and you are young, God wants to use you. You do not have to wait until you are middle-aged and boring. God is wanting to use you. He is excited to use you. Hey, if you would see him as sovereign over what happens in college or school or university, if you would see him as sovereign over the affairs of the world and you make a decision of faithfulness to God, I tell you what, he will honor you. Listen to this. To these four young men, God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning. And Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds, which, as we will see, comes in incredibly helpful. To these four young men, God raises them up. Hey, they made a decision. We will not defile ourselves. We will not do this nonsense Christian chameleon living where we blend into the background of the world that we live in. Hey, um, hey yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go out getting drunk tonight. Whatever. Tomorrow morning I'm going to church. Yeah, they, my mates that I went and got drunk with, they know I go to church. But hey, I can kind of do the both. I can do the, the drunk thing, then the, the church thing. I can do the sleeping round thing and then the I worship God thing. The church is rife with chameleon Christians. And I don't say that to put condemnation. I say it because I want to call you to faithfulness. But this is precisely where we just end up. We end up looking like the world, don't we? Hey, we do church. We get excited about worshipping, praying, meeting, gathering. We get excited about church planting, multiplying, all great. But do our lives look different to the world that we live in? I mean, really. Have we resolved that we are people of the living God and that he deserves our lives looking as such? They knew, Daniel and his friends, that there was hardly anything that they could determine about themselves. They did not have that freedom. But where they could make a stand, they made a stand. Hey, we have incredible freedom in our nation. And sure, It might be shrinking, but we have incredible freedom to live lives that glorify and honor God. We have incredible freedoms to pray, to worship, to gather together without threat of people storming this building, being taken off into prison, disappearing. Hey, you know that that kind of persecution is happening all over the world. There are nations right now where Christians are persecuted simply for being followers of Jesus Christ where we would not be able to gather like this. Guys, in our, in our freedom, I wonder if we've become lazy, chameleon-like. It's incredible, isn't it, that you think of the, the underground church in China and it's, and it's the revival of that nation, what God's been doing there. And for years and years, missionaries were trying to get into China, were trying to smuggle themselves into China, were trying to smuggle Bibles into China trying to get the good news of this gospel of the kingdom of God into China, and the authorities were resisting it. And do you know what it did? Far from crush the people who were followers of God in that nation, it created a spiritual hunger. When the church is attacked from outside, when persecution comes, it causes spiritual hunger to rise up in the people of God. In a a nation, it causes spiritual hunger to rise up. 
hey, I wonder in our freedoms if we've just gone, that's all right, let's do the both. Let's do the church thing and let's do the, the world thing. Let's do the church thing and let's do the consumer thing. As followers of Jesus, we don't have that privilege. We are either citizens of his kingdom or we're citizens of the world. And God invites us to choose. Hey, where are you living? Whose are you? Whom are you? How are you shaping your life? How are you spending your money? Who decides that? Where does that get influenced by? What does faithfulness look like with money, marriage, family, time, work? What you do with your body? We are called to faithfulness. At that time, verse 18, at the end of the time set by the king to bring these guys into his service, the chief official presented them to Nebuchadnezzar. I I reckon he was feeling so pleased with himself. The king talked with them and he found none equal to Hananiah, Mishael and Azariah. So they entered the king's service. In every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters of his whole kingdom. Do you know where wisdom really comes from? Wisdom doesn't come from intellect. It's not, intellect's not wrong. Some people are incredibly intelligent. Others, not so intelligent. That's fine. But that's not where true knowledge and wisdom comes from. True knowledge and wisdom comes from fearing the living God, from knowing him from understanding that he is in charge. And as we'll see with King Nebuchadnezzar, God gives knowledge and understanding. He gives us even our minds. And he can take it away. And in a world that is incredibly confusing, like ours, God says, hey, see that I'm sovereign. Choose to live faithfully to me. Decide that. Make that decision within yourself. Resolve it in your own attitude, mind, heart, and spirit that you are my people marked out for my purposes. And God says, do you know what I do with such a people like that? I raise them up. I make them look like a light, a city set on a hill. I make them look like the salt of the earth. I make them look like they shine like stars in a dark night sky. Hey, these people are the church, the people of God. That's who God has called us to be. So, just as we close, we are not called just to hunker down church and go, let's just hold on until Jesus returns. We're not really expecting much. It's just all getting worse and worse. We are called to be lifted up by Jesus. We are called to be messengers of his kingdom. We have a gospel that is good news. But it is not just a case of shouting it in somebody's face It's a case of demonstrating it by the decisions also that we make. The way we shape our lives. And to thrive in Babylon, to thrive in our Babylon, there's some simple things that you need to know. You need to know this. This world is not your true home. That God loves you. That he is sovereign and all-powerful. That he is at work in all situations, in all places and in all times. That he has got it all in control. He is not out of control. That he is trustworthy that he knows what he is doing and that there is a purpose in everything. Can we stand? I'd just love to...
pray for us as, as we set off. Daniel and his friends, they knew all of that. Hey, the Lord delivered. They knew that. They knew that God is in control. And they didn't rail against God. They didn't have this attitude in their hearts. Oh God, get us out of here. Get us out of Babylon. They knew that they were to be useful in the hand of God. And so rather than saying, God, get us out of here, our question should be, God, what can I do for you whilst I'm here? What does living faithfully look like in Swindon, 21st century Swindon? Babylon was the epitome of evil in the Bible. It's It's evil wickedness personified. And we get to Revelation at the end when Jesus returns and we see that the angels are singing, Good news! Babylon the Great has fallen. God can use you and desires to use you to be a shining light in our Babylon today. In this world that we live in. This world that hates God and hates his kingdom. God has raised you up for this generation to know that he is sovereign and to live with him as such. God has invited us into what he is doing, into his kingdom, into his, the establishment of his reign and rule and the glorifying of his name across the nations of the world. And he's chosen to do it here for us in Swindon with all of its challenges and problems and, and in this nation with all of its nonsense that's going on. And in the nations of the world today, God is raising us to live faithfully to him and for him. And so I just pray, and I, as, as we pray, I, I want to just um, invite us to respond in one of two ways, just where we are. For some of us, I, run, I wonder if we've taken our eyes off of verse 2 because we are attracted to the king's table of this world. We are attracted to the feast that this world has to offer. And we've taken our eyes off of the true king. And we've taken our eyes off the sovereign reign and rule of God. And we just kind of do this thing where we kind of go, yeah, I I know God is in control, but but I'm going to write my own destiny. Hey, if you today say, do you know what? I know I'm not living life with God at the center, sovereign in my own life, utterly in control of who I am, defining who I am. I've forgotten that God is the one who delivers, that God is the one who raises up. I'm just, kind of, I'm just kind of doing the best and not really bothered that much. Can I call you back to see him afresh, to fix your eyes on him, that he is sovereign, that his is the name, the power and the glory, that he has no equal and that he will not tolerate any other God in your life because he loves you. And I just want to invite you to, again, say, Lord, help me to see you. The high, almighty, living God, afresh today. Ignite within me a passion to have that that vision of you that Daniel saw. That you're the one who is reigning and ruling sovereignly with all power and wisdom. Maybe maybe you're fearful at the moment. Maybe you're fearful of of what's the outcome of Brexit going to be over the next um, few weeks. Hey, can I say to you, be at peace? at peace. It's not, it's not the European Parliament or Theresa May who, de, who decides. Not really. God is the one who is in control. 
God is the one who's sovereign. You do not need to worry. You do not need to worry whether it looks like it's good or bad or what does it mean or what about the economy? You don't need to worry, follower of Christ. Fix your eyes on him afresh today. Fix your eyes on him. I promise as you, as you resolve in yourself to say, I'm going to see God as sovereign, even in this season of life, I tell you what, he will lift your gaze. And then you'll speak a different language to those around us who don't know Jesus. You'll speak one of hope and peace. And say, how can you be so peaceful? Hey, don't you know the Lord is in control? It's God who raises up. And maybe for some of us, we've, we've become so used to chameleon Christianity, we've forgotten what faithfulness to God looks like. In fact, we've forgotten that we've been called to faithfulness. We've been called to, to not blend into the world, but to look like Jesus. And I just want to pray for you right now that you would know that God loves to discipline those who are his children because he cares more about your eternal salvation and holiness than he does about your immediate happiness. It's a fearful thing to be in the hand of God under discipline. And can I, can I just encourage you today to bend your knee again before him, to declare him as Lord and Savior, to decide in yourself, to resolve in who you are, I will live faithfully. And maybe for some of you, you've been mucking about, toying with sin, thinking, oh, God's all right, he'll let me get away with it. I'll tell you what, he's too good to let you get away with it. And I want to call you back this morning to faithfulness.